This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. If you guys have the Pew Bibles in the back, it's page 982. My name is Dustin Gossett. Um, I'm going to be reading Philippians 4. Verses 4 through 9, um, so page 982, and I'll give you a second to find that. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. Hey, let me pray for us one more time. Father, we come now to your word and ask that you would speak to us. Would you help us? Would you oversee how we receive? Even talking about prayer probably stirs lots of questions, uh, maybe some shame and some regret and some feelings like I wish things were different, but may also be some hurt and some disillusionments and times we've prayed and asked you for something and you didn't seem to answer what we asked for. Or, or maybe there's people who are right in the middle of praying for really heavy things um, and it doesn't seem like there's movement. Uh, so would you give us grace this morning to receive from you? Would you um, teach us? Would you help us? Would you encourage us? Uh, where there's like a correction, would you give that to us? But more importantly, God, would you just like breathe into our hearts like confidence in you? That in the, in the mystery of the unknown of what you choose to do or not do, where we can't make sense of that, would you put in that gap uh, your character, your love? And, and I pray you'd start us at the cross of Jesus where the scriptures say you demonstrated your love for us. So, so where we have questions of do you love us because we prayed and it didn't happen, or we're praying and it's hard, or we prayed and it seems confusing? I pray that the cross of Jesus would be a lens by which we see that. And that wouldn't actually like take away the tension. It might actually turn the volume up in ways that we could then encounter you in deeper ways. So, so w- would you help? Uh, for those who even wonder if you're real, is this just like positive thinking? Is this just saying things out loud into the universe, hoping it comes back to you? I, I just pray you would speak to them about who you are and what you're like as a relational God. Would you draw us close to yourself and would you help us in? Holy Spirit, would you now instruct our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a new series. We took a break from our book of Matthew and we're doing a, a series really on the foundations of community. And we said it's kind of strategic for a couple of reasons. We're actually starting small groups this fall for the first time in a while. So we're turning back on ministries like Sunday school and equipping classes and, and then small groups. And so we wanted to kick off our small groups with some vision and some framework. And we thought, let's just all get on the same page on Sunday mornings. And then you can discuss those 
in your small groups. But, but we made the observation last week that it's not just for those who are in small groups. So if you're not in a small group, don't check out because we actually think what we're trying to do in our small groups is what the scriptures just say we should be doing anyway. So, so we're trying really hard as a church not to be provocative in our visions and strategies, but to be really simple, to give ourselves to some very simple practices and disciplines and, and postures of our heart that we think if we do things like engage God's word and, and pray and gather in spaces where we can be honest about where we're struggling and then remind each other about who Jesus is, that will actually change us over time. And so, so these four weeks, right, one is on scripture, one is on prayer, one is on unburdening ourselves, and one is on reminding each other of our gospel identity. Those four things we feel like are not just for small groups on Tuesday night at 6.30 in someone's home, they're for us every day. And so in a lot of ways, we're layering into this series just who we want to be as a people. And so we're trying to create lots of context for Scripture. So we have a Bible reading plan for you to jump into. We have equipping classes that gather around God's Word. We have one going through the Old Testament survey now. We have one in another New Testament book. and went to the book of Romans. Like We've got three different equipping classes on Sunday to help you be in God's Word. We take time to pray during the service, right? So we pray over you sometimes, and we have these little awkward pauses where we just say, hey, now you pray. And everyone kind of closes one eye, and what is everybody praying, and what do I do? And we're just trying to create some space for these really, really simple practices. And actually, I'm excited to announce we're going to start doing a first Wednesday of the month evening prayer time. We've had a Thursday over the lunch hour time that is still going to run and keep going, so you're welcome to pop in and out of that on Thursdays from noon to one. But we're going to start first Wednesdays of the month. I think the first one is October 6th, just to create some more space to get some more opportunities to to pray. So I say all that because what we're trying to do in this series, again, is not aimed only at small groups. It's aimed just at you as a person made in the image of God, who God not just wants to connect with, but who has plans for you to grow and be transformed. And so our simple strategy is to give ourselves to regular mundane practices that over a decade would actually radically transform us. We really believe when you get God's people together with his spirit around his word, praying and being honest and reminding each other about what Jesus has done, you will be changed. You don't need a pastor there to help guide that. You don't need some guru or an expert. Just God's people with his spirit, with his word, praying, being honest, and reminding of what Christ has done. That will radically transform and change us over time. And so we gave this little organic illustration last week of, of when you're young married, you know, you can't afford like the big plants at Home Depot, so you buy the small versions. Right? There's a $35 version of a bush that's been growing for a while, but but you can only afford like the little $7 kind of volleyball size bush. But if you plant that thing and you water that thing in 10 years, you actually have the $35 bush size bush growing at your home. Well, okay, forget that. But in your own heart, right, what happens when you just start small and simple and you don't put pressure on yourself to have this really spectacular moment with God? You just faithfully, slowly engage with God. And we said it is powerful and it's substantial, even if it's incremental. What actually happens is real, it's powerful, and it's substantial. It has substance and it changes you, even if it's incremental and takes decades for it to form, which is actually a deep breath for us just to relax as a people. We feel so much pressure to be something or perform some way or appear a certain way, both to God and to others and even to ourselves. Like none of us measure up to our own expectations, let alone expectations we think others have of us, let alone what God thinks of us. And so to hear the good news that God has just given us very small, simple, 
but powerful and substantial things to, to give our heart to. So last week we looked at Scripture, which is hearing from God, and this morning we look at prayer, talking back to God, and not just prayer individually, but how do we actually do it together, right? So these, these gatherings, these small groups who want to gather together as people to pray, but also release you to pray on your own. And again, we're layering what happens in small groups, what happens in our church, with what you should be doing individually, not to put pressure on you, but to go, oh, it's actually not that complicated. It's the same stuff over and over and over again that will actually begin to transform and change your heart. So we've used this acronym SPUR, comes from Hebrews chapter 10 that says we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And this is about as creative as we get, right? So you see scripture with the S, P is prayer, U is unburdening yourself, and R is reminding of God's uh, gospel identity for us. So, so P today with prayer. And actually, I'm going to really confuse you because I'm going to give you five R's to kind of orient ourselves through this passage. Kids, if you can grab all five of these R's, Mr. Rob will give you a pack of fruit snacks when we're done. Now, actually, Mr. Rob's kind of a softie. He might give them to you anyway, but I think it would be fun if you had all five of these R's as we walk through this passage. So so look with me in verse 2, actually, of Philippians. What I want you to see is that God's plan for us in this passage is actually really broad. It's a bigger passage than just about prayer. It's almost like a a Swiss army knife. You could do about 10 different sermons, lots of different ways from this text. So in verses 2 and 3, you could talk about conflict resolution in the church. You could talk about women in leadership in the church. You could talk about what it means for us to be together. You could talk about even eternity and what it means to have our names written in the book of life. But, But it starts with this conflict that Paul's concerned about. And then in verse 4, you could spend a whole sermon just talking about joy, what it means to actually relate to God through joy. And in verse 5, you could talk about reasonableness or gentleness of our character, our Christian behavior out in the world where people can actually see that. You could also talk about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus, both, both at the end of time, but also now in your space, that he's with you in the spot that his presence is available daily. You have both of those just in verse 5. You can do a whole sermon on anxiety. You could do a sermon on prayer, which is kind of a good idea we're going to do today. You could actually then talk about the peace of God. You could talk about what it means to actually be in relationship where we're reminding each other of God's word in verse 8. And in 9, you could talk about what it means to actually practice and and be a disciple and, and move towards disciplines that change us, right? There's a whole lot you could talk about in this passage. And so I say all those to you, not because we're going to talk about all of them, but I want to put prayer in that larger context. Prayer is not just this thing that we whip out for like five minutes every now and then. It actually fits in the larger context of our life. So all of those realities of this passage are, have elements of them that prayer actually affects and changes and influences. So, so you have this Swiss army knife of a passage. We're just going to pull out the one little blade and do some whittling around the idea of prayer. But I want you to see that, that the passage is actually really robust. And it's rooted in conflict and in anxiety, which are two of the massive issues of your life. Think about where you're stressed. Think about what you're praying about. Think about where you feel the need for God. I would bet it's in relational conflict And it's around stuff that you're uncertain about that's creating some anxiety for you. So so Paul takes this Swiss army knife and he drops it into the reality of our worlds where there's relational conflict and there's anxiousness abounding, right? We would just say, man, our world is an anxious, anxious time. And God has an answer to that actually through through prayer. So so five R's. Here's the first one. We look in verse 4. 
It's, it's, a, it's a reminder that God is relational. Now, there's two R's there, kids. That's a double bonus. I want the word relational there. The, the first thing I want you to see is that prayer is relational. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. So, so I don't know what you think about joy. It's actually used over 10 times in the book of Philippians. But joy is not like a mindset. It's a response to something. To rejoice in something. It has a reference point. It's not just you being a happy person or you being a joyful person or you having high serotonin levels. It's actually you responding to something. He says, says rejoice in the Lord. So rejoicing is looking at God and delighting in Him. And he says, I want you to do this so earnestly, I'm going to actually say it to you twice. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your hope in Him relationally. Let Him fill your heart. Let your heart be delighted. Would you see Him as beautiful? Rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to tell you again to rejoice. Prayer is engaging with a relational God. It's speaking to a God who actually responds back to us. Well, what we see in this passage, even the context of conflict, is that relationships really matter. And so hearing that God wants to have a relationship with us and that prayer is a relational exercise, it's not just a spiritual discipline that we do, it's actually us connecting to the relational God. And I think he just says that twice because we're tempted maybe to forget that we can just do spiritual things for spiritual reasons by themselves and forget that God actually wants to do something in us and through us when it comes to these relationships. So, so he calls them to joy. And he says this relationship with joy actually changes you in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness, this but also you see the footnote means gentleness or, or engaging with people in such a way that they, they feel close to you. This relationship with God as you pray is meant to change you and engage in the rest of your relationships. So, so prayer is a relational reality is the first thing. And I say that because it maybe orients it a little bit of what we're trying to actually accomplish. It's just closeness and intimacy with God himself. It's not performing. It's not even producing something. It's not getting us inside himself, which we struggle to be relational just with everybody. Like we didn't grow up in cultures and communities that told us how to not use people and compare ourselves and see them as either commodities or competition. So we don't know actually how to just sit with somebody. Our Instagram and our Twitter and our YouTube and our Snapchat and all of that is actually changing our brains and how we relate to people. So I'm fascinated with myself when I'm physically with somebody. I'm in the presence of another human and I'll pull out my phone to talk to another human that's not here. And I just sometimes I'll catch it and go, this is crazy. Like there's a real person in front of me. But my phone is so much quicker to grab and easier to grab, and I'm just so used to that. Like, we really have a hard time sitting in relationships with anybody. You watch husbands and wives on dates. They're on date night, and they're playing, I don't know, Candy Crush, or they're tweeting something, or they're telling somebody else how great their date is rather than actually talking to each other. Like, man, this is bananas. Like, well, why can't we just sit in that space? Okay, if that's our, like, human struggle with someone who's physically with us, and how much more do we find a hard time sitting with God? A God that we can't see and touch, but, but is the most real thing in the universe. And if intimacy with relationships is hard, how much more intimacy with God himself that we have lots of questions with? So Paul just starts with this sweet reminder that, that God is a relational God and prayer is a relational dynamic. He's going to say in verse 9 that the God of peace is actually 
with us, that, that, that we are to be referencing around the Lord, that it's in the Lord. Like God is the reference point for prayer. And I know you know that, but I think we're tempted to forget about that. And when we forget, it actually gets us off course of what the goal of prayer actually is to begin with. Is it to get stuff? Is it to change things? Or is it actually to relate to God, the one who made me, the one who fills me with his spirit, the one who says he loves me, to come, to come close to him? So, so the first thing is that prayer is relational. Secondly, in verse 6, he, he wants to talk about our reflexes. And he basically says there's two kinds of reflexes to the world around us. One is anxiety and one is prayer. One is to look at the world around me and feel alone and say, what am I going to do about this? The other one is to look around me and not feel alone and ask God, the relational God, to come and be near to me. Anxiety asks two questions. It asks, am I going to be okay? And it asks, am I doing okay? It asks about my provision and it asks about my performance, which really is two other questions. It's actually a question of, is God enough for me, and am I enough? And the good news of the scripture is that he is enough, and also you are not enough. And just settling into that is actually really helpful to have a reflex that stops trying to produce and perform on my own, but actually seeks after God to come and help. It removes the anxiety I feel when I feel like it's all up to me, right? He says there in verse six, don't don't be anxious about anything. This broad category of your entire life. And so you read that and go, man, the scriptures are so unrealistic. Except that you see story after story after story of very real people who are in really intense situations who are tempted towards anxiety and self-reliance and kind of taking matters in their own hands. And instead, God is moving them on a journey where their reflex changes from self-reliance, which leads to anxiety, to moving towards God, which leads towards this peace and him connecting with us. He just says, hey, you've got these two choices of a reflex. One is rooted in the idea that you're by yourself and must therefore take care of yourself. That's what anxiety screams to you. Anxiety is a solution to the situation where you feel like it's all up to you. And in contrast to that, prayer is the reflex to say, man, I can't do this by myself. I I don't want to do this by myself, and I don't have to do this by myself. It's not about my competence. It's not about me being good enough. I'm trusting the one who is enough for me, the one who is amazing, the one who proved his love for me on the cross through the death of his son, Jesus. I'm choosing to trust that one. I'm going to bring my heart to him as a reflex. So as a people, one of the prayers I'm praying is that our reflex would be quickly to say, hey, let's pray about that. Last week we talked about a reflex to say, hey, what does God's word say about that? In the future, we'll talk about a reflex that says, hey, what's really going on? And a reflex of, hey, what would Jesus do about that? What does Jesus mean for you there? But today we're talking about this reflex simply to say, hey, can we just stop and pray about that? Because prayer is different than talking about something. It's different than complaining. It's different than just thinking through something. Prayer is actually inviting God into your situation. Right? If anxiety makes you feel like you're by yourself as one trained reflex, you don't even think about it. You just go there automatically what the scriptures are calling us to in prayer is to change our reflex to ask God to come and engage with us God to come and heal us God to come and rescue us God to come and help us and that reflex has changed over time it's it's the kind of thing that happens uh, over time as you turn to him because on our own we're just trying to interpret life as it comes and there's tons of gaps in what you experienced and what you expected And if it's just up to you, you'll fill that gap with an anxious clawing and grinding. 
Now, I say that, I realize there are some forms of anxiety that have kind of tapped out and have gone passive and have gone cold and have gone numb. I get that. Some of you guys have chosen a strategy not of anxious, frenetic pace, but of just saying, I'm not going to care anymore. So your anxious response looks more like apathy because if you did care, it would be so overwhelming. I, I, I get that. But at the root of it, I think it's the same thing. It's rooted in this idea that it's about me, right? Prayer is a relational thing, and if I don't turn to God, I'm left by myself or with other people who are also unreliable. And they're amazing, and I love them, and they're great, and they don't have the capacity and power to save or rescue or redeem or make me whole. So so he says, rejoice in the Lord, and then he moves towards anxiety, not as a topic change, but to say, hey, there's a reflex you have. If you don't turn to the Lord, it's about you, which produces anxiety. And instead of not being anxious about everything or anything, in everything, move towards prayer, to have this reflex that actually goes towards God. And let me just say this, man, I think we get bound up because I think anxiety more and more is like a natural response to really scary situations. You're not anxious because you're dumb. You're anxious because your eyes are open. But we live in a pretty scary world. I mean, there's lots of stuff going on around us that we've never faced before. There's stuff economically coming down the pike. There's stuff relationally that we know isn't healthy. We're not sure where it's going to wind up. There's a lot of things that you should be anxious about. But that anxiety, if it just stays with you as the solution, becomes overwhelming. But if that anxiety can be a pointer to the places where you have needs, then it's a real gift. So if God's designed us to see danger around us and to feel something in our body as a cue that, hey, this is not the way it's supposed to be, if God's designed us beautifully like that, what if your anxiety became your prayer list? What if I was just saying quit it and numb it out and do something to distract yourself? What if you stopped and gathered why your heart rate elevated and you went, man, I need to pray about that. So don't just shut down your anxiety. Let your anxiety direct you. Now, now don't obey it, but let it, let it teach you. But don't let it rule you. Don't let it like dominate you. Don't let it be the boss of your life, but let it be a marker to things that you actually have real needs about. Let's not be the kind of community that just says like, that's no big deal, get over it. Like a junior high football coach who just rubbed dirt on it or something like that. Or, or the way your dad would hang out with you in the backyard. Like those, those moments where your pain was minimized and you were just told stop being a sissy or stop being a child or stop being whatever it was. What if we're the kind of community that went, hey man, that's real. Hey, that actually, I see why that hurts. And let's not indulge it. Let's not let it rule us. Let's not obey it. But let it take us to the places where we actually see our need for God. So, so anxiety doesn't just stop and disintegrate. You have to take that energy somewhere. And the reflex we should have as followers of Jesus is to the relational God who loves us, proves that he cares for us, so we can take those stressful situations and bring them to him. And in a church community, we get to do that with other people. We get to walk into a home on a Tuesday night. We get to walk to a coffee shop on a Wednesday morning. We get to gather in someone's backyard on a Saturday and we ask, man, how are you really doing? Which is, hey, where are you feeling anxious? Because we're not asking, like, are you struggling? We're asking, where are you struggling as a people? Like, it's just a, a given that we're struggling. So, so let those places of struggle become, again, like a hit list for you of what you should be praying for. Does that make sense? Let's not be a community that just says, stop it. Let's be a community that says, hey, take that somewhere. Not just stop it, but actually direct it back to this relational God. So rather than being anxious about anything, in contrast, but in everything, bring your prayers to God. And he's going to use a couple of words here, and I think they're probably more synonyms than they are differences, right? So he says, but in everything by prayer, I'm in the middle of verse 6, 
and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Most scholars would see these three words, prayer and supplication and request, as pretty similar, right? Which is actually pretty instructive for us because our hearts weave in and out of different kinds of things. So, so prayer is like a general generic term. Supplication has an implied in it needs that you have. And requests are like these, these things that you're bringing and presenting to God. And what we see like in the Psalms, the place of Scripture, is like a weaving in and out of praise and thankfulness with a crying out for need, with a lament of pain, with a confession, with a promise to trust and hope, with an exhortation. Like our hearts are pretty complicated, and we have the ability to do a lot of that at one time. So these categories, I don't think we should get tripped up and just say, first we pray, and then we supplicate, and then we make requests. I think it's just bringing our heart to God. And he says to do it with thanksgiving. All right, so now we're back into that joy space, right? Now we're back into that relational dynamic. And what I think what's so beautiful about him putting that word there is it's a perspective that says, God, you're good. I think you pray to the degree you believe God cares and he's good. Now, you might try to buy him off like as a mob boss who you have to like appease somehow through sort of cursory prayers because you're supposed to. But for you to sit with him in a relationship and pour your heart out, you have to believe that he's good. And that word thanksgiving orients our hearts to say, I'm grateful for who you are because you're good. And this is really hard and this is really painful. And this I would ask you to take away in a moment, but I'm going to sit with you in this space with a grateful heart. One scholar said that, that gratitude is the on-ramp for joy. It's what actually moves our hearts towards God. And the scriptures warn us that a lack of gratitude or a feeling of entitlement from like Romans 1.21 is the first step towards idolatry. It says in Romans 1, they saw who God was, but they, they weren't grateful, so they became their own gods, and everything began to unravel. So this idea of gratitude isn't just a throwaway thing. It's actually a centerpiece for us in this relational dynamic with God to say, I'm seeing God as good. And friends, I realize, man, you look at the world around you, and you have lots and 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 lots. And lots of questions about that. The scriptures would call us to start with the cross of Jesus where God demonstrates his love for us. And whatever questions you're asking about the power of God and the nearness of God and the goodness of God, you start at this demonstration of him stepping into our sinful world, taking onto himself all of the brokenness and the sin and the wrath and the judgment that we deserve. The very ones who had sinned against him and rebelled against him, he takes all of that wrath upon himself. He dies a torturous death on a cross to make a way for you to be forgiven and free so that you can, by faith, relate to him and let him pay the penalty for all of your rebellion. To that narrative, we ask, is God good? And I've got a diagnosis I don't know what to do with, and I've got a job situation that feels overwhelming, and situations in my family I just feel really confused by. But I start with the cross of Jesus, and I ask, is he good? And we go, oh. He's not just like adequately good. He is lavishly good. He is generous in the way he actually takes the sacrifice upon himself to make a way for you and I to actually be loved. So the God that we're praying to isn't just up there with some sort of counting ledger, wondering how many times you're going to pray about it, if he's going to grant it to you. He's a God who bled and died for you. And that, that thankful response, right, that heartfelt response to what he's done for us actually is the beginning place of joy. And it begins to kill the self-entitled idolatry. Because you get yourself in a real bind when you feel like God owes you something. 
he's not delivering or he doesn't know what all you've gone through or you've done enough already, done more than most people. So that entitled lens in the middle of suffering will get you in all kinds of jams. You'll round off all kinds of edges with your behavior. You'll begin to believe things about yourself and other people that will take you down really disastrous roads where you'll begin to use people and feel like it's okay. You'll take advantage for your own comfort and feel like it's fine. You'll round off the edges in ways that actually bring damage to you and those around you. And instead of that, what Paul says is, oh, have this posture of thanksgiving. As you pray, it's a movement away from anxiety. It's bringing our hearts to God, and it's bringing a thankful heart to God. Right? So we want these reflexes to grow up. We have a reflex in a situation either towards anxiety or prayer. We want to grow as a people quickly to say, hey, let's pray about that. In a small group, we should just stop multiple times a night and go, man, that's heavy. Let's pray about that. Because it's super weird when you like pour your heart out and people go, thank you. Who's next? We should stop and go, oh, man, that's a big deal. Let's just pray like right now. Hey, if you spent the majority of your time on a Tuesday night praying, that would be amazing. If you never get all the way through the discussion guide, that would be amazing. If you just stopped and said, hey, that is something that reflexively we should ask for God to help us with, to reveal himself, to come near to us to help us see what he's doing and begin to pray, that would actually begin to change us. All right, so it's relational. It has to do with our reflexes. And in the next verse, he says there's a reassurance. Prayer begins to reassure us. Look with me in verse 7. After he said to bring our request and our supplication with thanksgiving to God, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you can understand just what that verse means on the surface, but there's actually some beautiful things about this in the original language. This phrase, the peace of God, is unique to the New Testament. Now, not the concept of the peace of God, right? So we have peace with God because of what Christ has done with us. We read in Romans 5, 1, so there's a kind of peace that God is no longer um, have his wrath poured upon us, right? And it's not just inner peace in our soul that comes from God that's being grounded in his presence or his promises, But actually, it's something more than that. It's the kind of peace and tranquility you get being in the presence of God himself. He's referring to God giving himself to you. This is the peace that belongs to God, that he embodies, that he holds. He says, as you pray, God himself moves towards you. Not just in answers to your questions, but God himself comes, right? Which is what we said, that very first point, that it's it's relational. but, But the reassurance that you have is that God is moving towards you with him Self. And it says here that he's going to set this guard around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Right? This is actually a military term. It means to like put a fortress or a garrison around both what you feel, the center of who you are, your very heart, and the way you process what's going on. Because of God's presence, he's there as a sensory guard to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So just stop for a second. If anxiety says, I'm alone, and prayer is welcoming God into the reality... With a thankful heart, I'm seeing his character as good. In this moment, then, what's happening in the promise is that he actually moves towards me and calms my heart and my mind in the situation that I'm in, even before the situation begins to change. Because prayer is not a list of demands that we make towards God to prove that he's worthy of following. It's actually an awareness that we're dependent. Prayer is not just your list of demands that you lay out for God. It's an awareness that you are Dependent, And as you pray, then to hear this reassurance that God actually moves towards you in love actually begins to settle your heart. I was thinking about like uh, at work, maybe you get a scary email. Imagine though getting that email by yourself alone in the middle of the night. 
versus in a conference room with all your teammates that you trust and love. Hey, here's this big challenge. Here's a big goal. Here's a big problem. If you are relationally in a space with people that you trust and this massive issue comes towards you, you feel very differently about that in that conference room with com- comrades and teammates than you do when you feel like you're by yourself. Does that, that kind of make sense as an idea? In this space, then, for God to come near to you begins to actually calm your heart. Right, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. You don't need to know the origin story of all of this, but um, when Adrian and I were dating, uh, Adrian's my wife, by the way. When Adrian and I were dating, I met in high school, um, and we took on this kind of narrative of Pooh Bear and Piglet. I know. All right, so there's something about my mom called me Pooh Bear as a kid. I'm not even sure why. Maybe probably my shape, probably like my design. Something probably about comforting with food. That's in there for sure as well. There's a size dynamic between me and Adrian as far as like how big we are. She's 5'2", I'm 6'2". So in those spaces, like there was a lot going on there. And it was like super easy to find cards and books. And it was a narrative we could like exploit for years to come as we wrote notes and had little nicknames for each other that weren't like overtly inappropriate. They were like kind of cute and innocent, right? So that, that's what happened. All right, so, so we both buy other stuff, animals. We have actually books from Pooh and things like that we have written notes in. It's a, it's a long story. That's enough for the, for the point of the illustration. Last year, I'm going through some pretty significant transitions, and it was pretty heavy, to be quite honest, like, like all of us, right? So the last 18 months were hard on all of us, and there were days where I didn't know what to do, and there was one day in particular, like, Adrian just walked me, watched me, like, pacing the house, and she just said out loud, like, oh, he doesn't, doesn't know what to do. I'm just, like, I'm literally physically aimlessly just wandering the house, not, not sure what to do, right? There was a sadness, there was an anxiety, there was a, a fear, there was an uncertainty, there was an insecurity, there was a ton of things that are going on. And, and one day she just sent me this text, and it was a little clip from like a magazine or an article, uh, and it's, you can't see it from there, but it's Pooh and Piglet sitting on a log. You can imagine, you've seen that, you know what that looks like. So Pooh and Piglet are sitting on a little log, um, and it goes like this. Today's a difficult day, said Pooh, and there's a pause. What do, you, do you want to talk about it? Asked Piglet. No, said Pooh after a bit. I don't think I do. That's okay, said Piglet. And he came and sat beside his friend. What are you doing? Asked Pooh. Nothing really, said Piglet. Only I know what difficult days are like. And I quite often don't feel like talking about it on my difficult days either. But goodness, continued Piglet, difficult days are so much easier when you know you've got someone there with you. And I'll always be here with you, Pooh. And as Pooh sat there, working through his head this difficult day with a solid, reliable piglet sat sitting next to him, quietly swinging his legs. He thought that his best friend had never been more right in his life. Okay, on this day, my wife saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm with you, it changed everything. Nothing about our circumstance changed. Nothing about the things that I was stressed about changed. But having her come close, even through a little cute kind of reminiscent post from something from our uh, high school dating years to remind me, hey, here's this reliable little friend just swinging her legs, doesn't need to say anything, just sitting there with me. It changed me. I thought about that this week when I thought about what Paul is saying in this moment. What he's saying is that God moves towards you with himself, and he gives you a kind of peace that goes past what makes sense in the situation, right? Of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. 
If you were to chart it on a graph, like, should you feel better because nothing's actually changed? You would say, no, except everything has changed because God has come near to you, right? There's a reassurance that happens in prayer, simply reflexively turning our heart towards God. He comes and sets a garrison around the attacks that we're alone, that that it's up to us, that we don't have what it takes, that we're going to be exploited, that there's this thing that's going to happen that we can't control, and therefore we're orphaned in that space to have the presence of God come near to us, right? Prayer actually brings the presence of God, not in like a new way because God is everywhere, but in a way that you are more aware of. God's with you whether you're aware or not, but it makes a real difference if you're aware that he's with you. Adrian is with me whether I'm aware of it or not, but having her remind me that she was there made all the difference in the world, right? There is a reassurance that comes, not in the demands being met, but an awareness of our dependence and then God moving close to us. That's the third R. Fourth R is that prayer refocuses our hearts and minds. So it's relational, right? Reflexively, we want to move towards him. There's this reassurance, but there's also a refocusing that takes place. Look in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these Things. Now, again, I opened up with this idea like this passage is like a Swiss Army knife. There's a lot of stuff going on inside this. You could preach that passage by itself, but in context to see as we pray, we're being called to orient our hearts back around what's true, what's honorable, what's, what's just, to stop and think about what is pure and lovely and commendable, to stop and say, and where does God, the excellent one, fit into this Situation, right? It reinforces our hearts and our minds. It refocuses our hearts and our minds about the things that God has actually promised and said. This descriptor here of what's pure and honorable and just and lovely and commendable, those are things that God embodies. They're also things that His Word actually directs us to, right? So, so as we pray and we bring our request to God and we ask for help, we want what is also true to actually shape and influence how we pray. He's saying, As you pray, it refocuses your heart, not just away from you being autonomous, but actually bring about what is true and the promises of God, like how you should respond. So you ask for prayer for your boss who feels unreasonable. And your group says, hey, man, we want to pray about that. And what would God have you do about that? What does the scripture say we should do in response to somebody who's harming us? How do we let those things actually shape and uh, reorient what we're actually praying for? Right? It's to let the word of God begin to shape the way that we pray. It actually refocuses us. It gets us out of this stuck space where we're isolated and says, actually, the scriptures have this massive resource for us of what God has said that we should actually move towards. So, so last week's prayer uh, our last week's scripture sermon is not disconnected from this prayer sermon because it's the scriptures that help us know how to actually pray for each other. It's redirecting our hearts. It's refocusing our hearts and minds as we pray. So, so I would love to give you tons of freedom. Let your small group pray about anything in your life. Your dog is sick. Great. Bring that up. You got somebody they've never met. So your grandma's friends, cousins, nephews, employer has an issue. Bring that up. And they don't even know who that person is. But then let them go a little bit deeper, right? Let them go like, how's that affecting you? Like, let's, we'll pray about that, but let's ask what's going on with you with that. Because the scriptures would say what's true is that I feel and my heart is actually engaged at a much deeper level than just what's happening on the outside of me. 
Right? So let the scriptures actually then take us to some deeper places. Let the scriptures actually refocus us in prayer and bring whatever's going on because it matters, right? Your situation matters, big or small, it matters. But then let's keep going to what the scriptures say of, hey, and those things often affect us. Issues with money, they're not just money issues, they're heart issues. Issues with relationships are not just relationship issues, that they're heart issues. Let your small group begin to ask God to speak to you about his character and what you should do in light of that, his promises, what you should do in light of that, the sense of like lost and expectation in a fallen, broken world, how to engage those things. So you can now say like, hey, this makes me really nervous. All right, let's pray about what you're nervous about. Why are you nervous about that? I mean, this person has a ton of power in my life. Let's pray about the way you've done these relationships. And I'm really scared about my future. Now, let's pray about your future because my future actually normally ends up in really poor ways. Let's talk about your confidence in God for your future, right? So let the actually... The prayers be refocused in such a way that they go a little bit deeper, right? So actually, to more, to more that's true than just what you present as an initial request, right? Let the Word of God and the prayers that you pray actually refocus you around what's true about your situation, how to respond honorably, what is just here, what would the purity of Christ call you to, what would, what would love actually look like, what would, what would be righteous in this moment, what would be excellent in this moment, how should you actually engage in this, let those prayers actually refocus your heart. And then in verse 9, it says that prayer actually moves us to respond. That's your fifth R, kids, if you're paying, paying attention. Verse 9, he says this, well, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I'm be really careful. Just praying is actually doing something. Like, just praying is actually moving God towards the situation. It's actually reorienting your heart. It's actually engaging relationally. It's actually reflexively moving away from isolation back to God. It actually does something just to pray. And prayer moves situations, right? It brings about healing and restoration. But it also gives you direction about what you should do. Prayer is practical by itself. It is actually doing something, but it also helps direct you. Right? So prayer moves you to respond. He says, hey, these things that you've learned and received and heard, now put them into practice. So imagine your small group, they've prayed these things over you about your boss and about your stress and about your relationships and about your future and about your longing. And now you put those things into practice. You take those prayers and let them shape your heart in ways that you actually want to respond to the situation. And the God of peace, he says, will be with you to actually move in ways that have response, right? It is, it is actually doing something and it directs your heart in deeper ways. There's a ton in this passage and I'm finding a lot of joy in this little series. Like we're not saying everything there is to say about prayer, right? So, so come to these prayer nights, come to equipping classes, come and, and learn more over the years. We'll give ourselves to some real simple practices, but, but these verses give us like a starting place to actually ask God to do something in our community. Here's a couple other desires I have. I, I desire that prayer would feel normal for us, that we would be a supernatural people that understand God actually exists and our reflex would grow to where we're strongly and quickly saying, hey, let's, let's pray about that. I have a desire that we have regular rhythms of prayer that would actually change us over time, both corporately and privately, that your, your capacity to sit with God would actually grow. I have a strong desire that we would learn from each other how to pray. The reason why we have somebody different up here each week is so you hear different voices learning how to pray. Like Roxy prays differently than I do. Our personalities are different. Our backgrounds are different. Our experience are different. Our age is different. Our gender is different. So she prays 
in a deeper, more beautiful way than, than I pray, right? So you hearing and learning from each other in your small group to learn from each other is, is massive, right? And I want us to actually take the habit of saying, if God really cares, then can we press in deeper and go to some of those deeper layers in prayer that we would actually ask God, hey, what do you want to do about that part? This is what I'm stressed about on the surface. Would you, would you let this take me deeper inside my heart? And in that space, I would love for us to have the practice of what we want to call reclothing in grace. Again, somebody prays something, asks for prayer, and then we just kind of leave them exposed. Reclothing in grace says, God, would you come and meet them? Would you come and love them? Would you come and remind them of what you've done? Would you come and actually be near to them? Would you come and give them peace? Would you come and remind them of the assurance of what you've done for them? Would you tell them that you delight in them as your daughter? Would you come and help them in this space where they don't feel alone and exposed? They know that you love them. Would you have the habit of reclothing each other in grace as we pray? So we share our hearts and we're vulnerable and exposed. To unburden yourself, we talk next week, is like a, a risky thing to do. So can we be the kind of community that as someone exposes their heart, then we reclothe them in grace through prayer and have a habit of actually praying over people. I think that would be beautiful for the long haul. All right, from this passage, though, prayer is relational. It changes our reflexes. It gives us a reassurance of God's presence. It refocuses us, and it moves us to respond. I think if we can give ourselves to that, we'll be different people in the years to come. And I want to go to communion with this word thanksgiving in our hearts again. So go back with me to verse 6. He says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This word thanksgiving is where we get the word Eucharist from. It's the word we often use for communion in certain Christian traditions. It means to stop and be thankful for what God has done. And again, what Christ has done for us is the biggest thing that proves his love for us. And we think about even God's presence and his nearness. In our Bible reading plan, we were in Hebrews chapter 2 this week. It says that Jesus actually came to us as a high priest so that he could actually relate to us. So to take communion now in this moment is to say, I want to actually bring my heart to a God who knows what it's like to be me and died in my place to make provision for all the things that were broken about me. That's a beautiful place for you to bring your heart and ask for God's help. Would you ask him to grow your confidence in him? Would you ask him to help you experience his love? And would you just taste and experience what he's done for you on the cross as the beginning place for that to actually press out into your life? So communion here is open to anybody who follows Jesus and trust him. If that's not where you are, I invite you to stay in your seat and pray. God wants to hear your prayers. On the back of the bulletin, there's some prayers that would be like an example for you of how to cry out to God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then come and take communion with us. Again, there's cups here in the front and some in the back of the room if, if you missed them. The little wafer there represents the broken body of Jesus, and the little cup represents his shed blood. And as you taste that, would you just remember the God who you're praying to came all the way to you? He sits with you on that little log, and he doesn't just swing his legs. He actually died on a cross and rose again. So he's not just sitting there passively. He's actively moving towards you in love, which you get a chance to remember in this moment. So let me pray for us. We'll take communion, then we'll sing again, and then we'll go. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you've done. Would you now shape and move our hearts in this place? Make us a people that trust you and move towards you in prayer. And would you start us with thankfulness, prayers of thankfulness for what you've done for us on the cross. Shape us from that place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.